to The Rock. If you've ever been involved in a relational conflict in a church setting, you'll benefit greatly from the insights found here in 2 Corinthians. Pastor Paul must defend himself and his ministry against false accusations made by church troublemakers. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse series through 2 Corinthians entitled Strength Through Weakness. Alrighty, good evening everybody. Time to dig in and get back to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul defending himself and his ministry from false accusations, from false brothers, a lot to learn about handling conflicts, relationships and churches, all of that kind of thing. So let's ask the Lord for his blessing. We'll dive in. Now, Heavenly Father, tonight as we Our hearts go out to the Apostle Paul, Lord, and just having to defend himself and with uh, against these lies that have been told and all this bitter criticism and the work of God hurting and diminished. And uh, we want to learn from what's going on here in 2 Corinthians. So help us, Father, to apply our hearts to wisdom to understand, to see ourselves somewhere in the text tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was in grade school, we lived in New York, and on one Thanksgiving, uh, we drove into the city to see the world's largest parade. Of course, that would be the Macy's. Day uh, Thanksgiving Day Parade. And uh, I've got a couple slides, just, you know, you... You know what I'm talking about, yeah. Now, the thing that, I I only remember one thing, and it's how ginormous those overhead floats were. And and to a little kid, you know, in grade school, wow, there's one more picture like this. Now, the only thing really that I remember is how freaked out my little brother was and how scared he was of the floats, and he cried and could not be consoled, and we had to go home. (laughs) Now, yes, I like parades, but I would have liked to enjoy that one. Thank you for the pictures here. So, yeah, there are different kinds of parades, and how many of you like parades? Okay, good. Not so many of you. Well, there's so all kinds of parades are there, from uh, butter and eggs to apple blossom festival there locally. Uh, but we humans seem to enjoy them. We've been enjoying them for thousands of years in every society. Every culture has their parade. And the Apostle Paul tonight is writing to, of course, the Corinthians. And he's going to use the imagery of this very special kind of parade to describe the Christian life. And really, it's quite encouraging the way he does it because he he uses it to encourage those who feel like, you know, I've taken two steps forward, but three steps back, and it seems like there's always something 
There's always the conflict. There's always a falling out. There's always a fire to fight. But he says, listen, there's this parade. And you're in the parade, and somebody's leading that parade. And that parade is going to end victoriously. And so he's going to bring that up in the middle of the passage. And so we'll be on the lookout for that. But this is a passage now picking up uh, where we left off in verse 12 of the second uh, chapter, where, where unfortunately Paul has to be kind of defending himself. And this is a church that he himself planted. They came to faith as a result of his ministry with the team there in Corinth. And some agitators have come in and there have been some problems with guys who've uh, had to be corrected and as a result of their hurt feelings and their dislike of being corrected, they made up stories and tried to hurt uh, the pastor. As a result, Pastor Paul has to defend himself uh, against these false charges. And so uh, it'll make more sense when we come back for the second uh, walkthrough. But let me read the passage in its entirety. All right. So a couple paragraphs at least. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened the door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I didn't find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them, and I went on to Macedonia, modern-day Greece. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession. This is right out of a, a phrase for, the, for a ticker tape military parade always leads us in this kind of parade in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Verse 15, for we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. The aroma of Christ is an analogy to the parade, which I'll explain. Verse 16, to the one we are the smell of death, this fragrance of Christ that we bring. To the other, the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. Now he's calling out his detractors. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity, like men sent from God. And it spills over the thoughts into a little bit of chapter 3. Now are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people letters of recommendation to you or from you. For you yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human heart. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God, not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, the New Testament, the spirit, grace, not the letter of the law, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Just so you know, the false teachers who are coming in with a bunch of laws and rules. And so he's going to start calling them out on their false teaching as well. So 
A lot to think about. We'll leave that up there for just a second as we get ourselves situated and reminded of the context. So we're transitioning from last week when Paul was defending himself, why he hadn't made a visit to them as he had promised. And now he's moving on to still defending himself, but more in a general way about his ministry. So you'll remember the source of all of this trouble in the church at Calvary Chapel Corinth, CCC for short. Uh, In the midst, they were uh, in of an ugly church discipline matter, and this is where really all the problem came from. There was a painful visit where they weren't repenting, and there were people living in sexual immorality and all kinds of things we talked about last week. And so there was this painful visit and a standoff between Pastor Paul and part of the church This guy who wouldn't repent, he said, listen, you guys have to disfellowship him for a season, right, until he repents. And he refused to do it, and his friends refused to do it, so he left, threw his hands up in the air, and then wrote a very sorrowful, painful letter. And that's really where we left off. Now, he's heard through Titus, who has come to him that the painful visit and the painful letter worked. And the guy was disfellowshipped and he learned and he repented, he softened his heart, he changed the circumstances and everybody was kind of healing up. And so last week he was saying, now I want you not to shun him, but to receive him, to forgive him, to love him up. Now, lest the, the, the devil come in and, and, and take him away, discourage his heart. So, hey, the hard work is, has been done. It has reached its um, intended goal. Now receive him, take him in, because he's a brother, right? And so now here, as we pick up, and starting at verses 12 there and following, he's speaking now how he rendezvoused with Titus, that Titus brought this good word that said, hey, it's working. They disfellowship to him. He's learned, right? So now he's telling the story of how he came to rendezvous with uh, Titus. And so let's isolate that because that'll be our first point. Now, I need to tell you that it, he says, hey, this is how I met Titus. And he's going to tell you. He, he, he left Troas because he wanted to meet to find Titus, right? But... Uh, then he doesn't come back to that thought until chapter seven. So the theologians and the commentaries all say this is called the great digression. You know when you say, but I digress, this is a very sanctified, uh, but I digress. He digresses five chapters just to continue to talk about his ministry and he's talking about, he wants This is the letter that you find out most about what makes Paul tick, his life, his struggles. And and I think what it is, is sometimes a fuller understanding of of someone's life who's unfairly criticized, it disarms the credibility of what's being said. If you understand the person, how they think and what they've been through, what they're going through, their philosophy of how they make their decisions, that's what he's doing in 2 Corinthians. Understand me, know me. 
And so once you understand him and see him in action, it's going to um, pull the rug out from underneath his detractors. And so that's what he's going to do. And we're going to hear a lot about his ministry and his conflicts before we get back to. And then Titus came. And uh, so we're going to take a look at this now. So uh, we pulled the verses out here. So he says, so he left Ephesus. Now I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me. God had led me there, but I still had no peace of mind because I didn't find my brother, my bro. That's what true friendship in Christ is all about, being able to comfort one another when we're down like that. So I said goodbye to them and went to Macedonia. Now let me show you on a map. Because I love maps. All right, so this is his third missionary journey. And he was over here, right, in Ephesus when they were, when they were last talking. And so he said, so I went from Ephesus to Troas because God opened a door there. And he says, now this is all Turkey, modern day Turkey. All right, this is all Greece on this side. Now, today, all Greece, all right? And so we've got Israel here. We've got a little bit of Syria here. We've got Jordan over here. But mostly this, is, this whole place is modern-day Turkey. And so he said, here I was in Troas. God had opened a door for me to do some work. But I had no rest. And so I went on to Macedonia. And I probably went to the Philippians because they loved him like no other church. They supported him three times that we know about. No other churches sent him offerings, only the Philippians. And uh, he had a special relationship with them. So commentators think, surely in this grief, that he's dealing with this one problem child, <laughs> which is the church at Corinth. Uh, he went to uh, one of an, an easier child <laughs> to deal with. You know, he went to the Philippians. And so while he was there, that's when he met, meets Titus, okay? So he goes to Greece, he goes over to Europe, technically, and that's where he's gonna meet Titus. So we can go back now and talk about this. Now, God opened the door. Now, this is crazy. Point number one, the observations we're making are for what do we learn from when there's a conflict in the body of Christ, in the faith family, when there are fallings out, when there are bickering over petty things, what can we observe? And that's really one of the purposes of 2 Corinthians. So observe this. Conflict in the church compromises the minister and hinders the work of God. So it's important that we get along with each other because when we don't, God's work suffers. And let me show you how. So God had opened a door for him, and that, my friend, is the only effective ministry that will ever happen is its directed ministry. That is not you trying to make something happen. It's not a bright idea. It's not You didn't catch it from a church seminar, as helpful as they may be, but it was prompted by the Spirit of God. Before we started this church, it was on my heart to start a church. And I was just thinking about it. Nobody in the world knew except my wife. Not one person. Just in my own mind. And I was standing after church on a Sunday morning, 
wanting to talk to the lead pastor at Calvary Chapel Petaluma at the time I was an associate pastor and I wanted to get his take on it. So I'm standing after service waiting in line. Who, you know, after the service, people want to talk to the pastor a little bit. So I'm in line and my mind is on keeping my place in line and formulating my words to break the news to him. What do you think about me starting a church in Sebastopol? Well, there's this other guy standing in line with me. His name, let's call him Daniel because that's his name. So Daniel, sa- <laughs> Daniel says to me, hey, hey, can I ask you a question? I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I'm paying attention to the lead guy talking and I'm waiting my turn. And he goes, hey, how do you know when it's time to leave a church? And, and how, do you, how do you know that? And I said, for me or for you? Right? And he goes, you know, how would you know if God wanted you to plant a church? And, and to leave your church and plant a church in Sebastopol. I said, did you talk to anybody? And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. He didn't know anything. He was in line to talk to the pastor about the same thing. It was on his heart to help in worship. And he ended up being our worship leader. Now, right, now, well, how did God do that? He put us together and he confirmed. And so he opens doors and he directs. And where God directs, you're always looking, somebody said it was kind of cute. What was it? They all rhymed. You look for the swell, the well, and the bell. The swell is like the, where the wave is going to break, you know, where God seems to be moving. Instead of sitting there, I have another illustration. I'll go ahead and tell you since I wrote it down. I was in Santa Monica, and I was looking at the pier, and there were some surfers there. And they looked bored out of their mind. Nothing was happening, right? A little wave, a wave here and there. But you could look oh, a couple miles to the north, and along the mouth of the bay, the little inlet there, and you could see people surfing for days, catching these long waves. And I started thinking, why aren't you picking up and walking over there? Why are you sitting there going, where are the waves? You know, (laughs) come on, (laughs) trying to splash them. Come on over here to where I'm at, right? Why don't you go to where... The swells are naturally where it's happening, right? And so Paul sees a swell and then uh, the well of funding is always there. You know, usually not to say there's not a struggle, but there's bells ringing of connections. And so Paul had a connection. Long story short, God had opened a door, prompted something, opened it there in Troas and get a load of this. God wanted him to do work there. And guess what? didn't happen. God wanted a church there. God wanted Paul. He opened a door and said, Paul, there it is. And Paul said, I couldn't do it. Why? And it says there, my spirit, in the Greek, my spirit could not rest. I was so caught up and brokenhearted and so entangled. And I didn't know I didn't get, I didn't have word. I didn't have word. How did that second letter go over? You know the feeling when there's a relational fallout and, and a lot's on the line, right? And you've done and said things that were really hard 
and you're just waiting like, oh, Lord, please, I just want a, a text back that has a smiley face or a happy emoji of some kind. You know, anything. You're just, oh, you're waiting and waiting and looking and looking because it means so much. Can you just put yourself back 2,000 years where there's none of that? And you have to wait and wait and wait. And he says, God opened a door that I couldn't go through because I wasn't in the place. <laughs> I'm thinking, did the church brush fire turn into a forest fire? Is the church that I worked for years with, that I planted all my friends, he's picturing all his friends and family imploding on each other. And these false prophets coming in and taking them to a place of, of ruin. And so, yeah, he was so distracted with so much anxiety. He says, I had to say goodbye to them. Now, who will God hold responsible for that? My guess is the ones who caused him to be unable to be so burdened that that minister couldn't do his job because of this, because of the effect it had on him. I, I think so, you know. So he says, I left Troas for Greece because I, I just couldn't concentrate. I frankly couldn't think about anything else. How am I supposed to lead people to the Lord and talk about this while, while my whole being is consumed with this other thing? I'm going to read something to you. I brought it. I didn't. From my commentary, page 134. You know, sometimes when pastors uh, talk about application of a passage, people think, oh, pastor, you're kind of reading maybe a little too much personal, taking it too personally, or you're applying it uh, more than you should be. But I want to read to you from this commentary about this passage uh, just for your ears, okay? He says, um, we cannot hurt one another without also hurting the work of God in the world. Paul does not discuss whether it was the right thing to do to abandon a place where God had made an opportunity. His uneasiness over the Corinthians, however, made it impossible for him to continue his work there. The implication is that Paul's change in plans was caused by the Corinthians and that they also were behind his failure to pursue fully a golden opportunity for evangelism. Again, we can see Satan's design at work to conflict with Corinth, agitated Paul, the conflict at Corinth agitated Paul so much that it sabotaged a mission opportunity. His grief undermined his effectiveness and led him to exit doors that God may have wanted him to enter. I want to go on. One more paragraph. Paul suffered from the same kinds of problems that any of us do. Every reader of this text, this passage, can probably identify some time in their Christian lives when they felt that they could not minister to others 
or that they only went through the motions because they were consumed by anxiety caused by a church conflict. The threat of dismissal or having to step down, backbiting or slanderous rumors, it is even more devastating when disloyalty and backstabbing come from within our own congregations from those whom we have personally served and loved. Preoccupation with such things and the depression and worry they create hinders evangelism. Church strife never speeds the gospel's advance. The New American Commentary on 2 Corinthians, volume 9, page 134. Now, I want to say this is the, the most blessed environment of ministry that Barb and I have ever been in in our entire lives. Uh, The staff, uh, the people around us, this church has a reputation for being warm and loving and uh, unified. And in 15 years, there have been no church splits. There have been just, it's been wonderful. But I say I felt like I should read that because I have a lot of listeners that don't attend here, that they listen to podcasts, there's iTunes out there. Uh, We have a lot of traffic on our website for the sermons, and they don't go here. So hello there, by the way. (laughs) Even though I have no idea who you are or where you live, I want to say to you, who are listening outside of this blessed situation when there's a whole lot of love and no strife that I know of. Uh, Hebrews 13 says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden for that would be no benefit to you. So those outside the rock, I always admonish them to to pattern their lives after what we have going here, a church that's really full of a a lot of love and a lot of kindness. And so, but that wasn't Paul's situation. Paul had a, a really hard time. So I take away, be a peacemaker, you know, a build bridger, not, 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 not putting up walls. Uh, Okay, so what did I say? Build bridges? What? Okay, I'm glad you're finding this uh, entertaining. <laughs> you're paying attention. But did you get the point? Okay. <laughs> All right, so am I going to find you out lighting a bridge on fire? or what? Uh, All right, so now uh, we're getting into the meat of now his defense and to the parade uh, metaphor, please, 14 through 17. We'll speed up now. But thanks be to God, he's always leading us in victory and he uses the parade analogy and then he he makes this uh, analogy of a fragrance swafting out of our lives, disseminating everywhere we go the knowledge of God. And what's that all about? Well, I'm going to explain it now. So first, helpful observation was hearing that relational conflicts in the church compromise God's work. And now 
some good news. It's good to know that no matter what's going on and how he may have felt like, Troas, there was an open door, but I, I just couldn't do it. And, but you know what? But God leads us in victory, and he works things all out. He's bigger, stronger, and greater than our detractors, than people who criticize us, than our failures uh, to uh, miss open opportunities and setbacks. So he goes to something more positive now. So he says, contrary to how it may appear, we who love the Lord, who are led by his spirit, are caught up in God's victory parade. Now, here, here's what he's saying. He's using terminology there. Thriambuo, in the Greek, he uses it twice. And here's what it means. It means, he, he, thank God, he causes us to triumph. And then he says it again. He causes us to celebrate in that triumph. So there's this double nuance of, wow, we are going to make it. We're going to overcome despite the conflict the relational fallouts, the, the, the slanderous comments, the nitpicking, all of that, missing doors I should have walked through and all of that. He says, listen, we're, something bigger than that is going on. And so here's what he's talking about. Now, the triumphal, victorious, being led that way is the same exact word for the Roman uh, military parade that would come to town maybe once in a lifetime they were extravagant it was a big victory parade like a ticker tape I've got a couple pictures then we'll go back to our verses you know when the astronauts came back you know from the moon kind of thing and then World War II you know so everybody kind of still does this kind of thing which is so interesting and you can leave that up there as I described from William Barclay's commentary about this parade that Paul is using to describe the Christian life. So he says that after they won the battle, they would come into Rome. First up would be all the dignitaries, right? And then there would be trumpeters. And then a line of all the spoils taken and shown off. In other words, all the weapons that they got from the other uh, side. And uh, war horses or chariots or weapons, as I said, treasures. And then they would make mock paintings and models of the conquered fortresses or ships and that kind of thing. And next came in line the POWs. And they were the princes and the generals, and they were in chains. And at the end of the parade, it would not go well for them. They'd either be executed or thrown into prison. Then came the musicians, and they had stringed instruments. And they, then came the priests, and the, here's the part of the fragrance. Then came the priests swinging their censers with sweet-smelling incense. Then came the general with his army, and everybody's decked out with their military you know, paraphernalia, the stripes, the medals, the honors. And everyone was shouting with the crowds in unison, triumphant, triumphant. We are triumphant over and over again. Hence, the triumphant processional. That's the name of it, right? And so... This is, let me show you about the incense and the fragrance because Paul is going to say, uh, 
in parades, they would burn incense, and they still kind of do. And it, it, it had the idea of prayers going up to the gods who gave them the victory, right? And so there's another one from our Catholic friends, you know. Uh, there was the marching of this kind of thing and the smell of the incense and this kind of thing, uh, not only to impact sight, sight and sound in these parades but and smell. The victory was in the air kind of thing. And so... I think they kind of stole it from, you can go back to the verses, thank you, from the altar of incense and the temple of God at Jerusalem. The idea that uh, the incense that got burned from the altar there in the holy place, it represented the prayers of God's people in the, and the intercession of Christ, right? Now, did you know that you could only light that altar with the incense with coals from the altar of sacrifice. So wherever the blood dripped, they would take the coals from that altar and light inside the holy place, and that would ascend to God as a sweet fragrance. But Aaron's sons tried to light that fire once without going out to the altar of sacrifice with the coals, and they lit it with strange Fire, just meaning, they just thought, you know, fire's fire. Bro, why you got to go all the way out to the altar where the sacrifice is? Let's just light it on our own. And that was the end of them. <laughs> that was the end of that because there's no happy fragrance at all. If there's no blood shed. Right, so, so what's Paul saying? Paul's saying, Christ is the general He's leading the way. And we're his soldiers. It's a shared victory. And, and, and the incense that's going up, right? He's saying is, is the aroma of Christ. We, everywhere we go in this life, we spread this fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere, not just on our lips as information, but the knowledge of God means the experience of relationship with the living Christ on the inside. A crucified life. The Lord living inside of me. The things I say and how I live. That that brings an aroma to other people that they catch that aroma. And some people like the smell and other people don't appreciate the fragrance at all. Now, how do we spread this knowledge around? Well, when you're loving your enemies, when you're forgiving those who hurt you, when you're going the extra mile, when you're the one guy in the office that doesn't look at pornography and you will be the only one practically in the office and somebody will say, what is that about you? You're always talking about loving terms of your wife and church and, you know, you sound different. You know, how somebody come to me, one of my students many years ago, who said, I've been watching you. You talk about uh, stuff. You have this peace. And I'm always anxious about everything, but you have this peace. You're a very laid back person, but there, it's more than being laid back and mellow. There's something about it. <laughs> 
I'm smell what? The Prince of Peace is what she's smelling, and on occasion, apparently, he gets out a little bit, right? Right? With all of us, right? And you have your stories, and that's what he's talking about. Submitted wives and loving husbands. And when we have peace in our storms and we're abstaining from sin and we're loving, uh, living other-centered lives and our marriages are, are, are well-lived, they say, I smell something different. What's up with you? And Paul points out in verses 14 through 16, as I said, some like the fragrance and they're drawn and others are allergic and are repelled, right? And so... You know, there are only two kinds of people in the text, in the whole world. Those who are perishing and those who are being saved. There's only two kinds. And to those who are perishing, they catch wind and it reminds them of condemnation and hell. And I don't want to turn and I don't want to repent. So it's a smell that is unattractive to them. And to those who are being saved, oh, when they catch a little bit of that, they're excited, they have joy. So the same aroma, two different reactions in the world to the knowledge of God. And that's, I've used this before, a siren when somebody's in trouble, a siren of of help coming close, right? Has two different, uh, evokes two different kinds of emotions. In the victim, joy. In the perpetrator, <laughs> not so much, right? And so this is what he's talking about. And so uh, we were in Union Square last month. We were walked by a crosswalk, and there was a guy, really well-groomed, not crazy, in his right mind, uh, with an open Bible and, and speaking very nicely about the gospel. And you could see the aroma, the knowledge of God, and some people hissing and, and kvetching and rolling their eyes and cussing and insulting. And then others, like me, affirming and getting excited. And there were guys walking by going, you know, and, you know, and the old preacher brother, you know, and you know who they are. But one catches the fragrance and goes, yes, heaven and Jesus and forgiveness of sins and God's people. And the other catch it and repentance and uh, lordship and, and death. Death, I don't want a death. Yeah, we, we don't want the death either, but we got the death and then the resurrection. Amen. All right, so that's what he's talking about there. Time to wrap up. Here we go. Unlike so many, now he's going to out his opponents for the first time in the letter. We haven't met them. We still don't know them totally, but we're going we're gonna to hear a little about them. Unlike so many, wink, wink, we don't peddle the word of God. For profit, on the contrary, we, we're sincere. Now, have things gotten so bad that I need to get a letter of recommendation from an outside source for you folks, and I, I was your founding pastor kind of thing. And so he says, that's not how it works. You guys already 
are my letter of recommendation. And he goes on to talk about where his competence comes from. And that's from Christ. So one would be, so was the first point was relational conflicts in the body of Christ hinder God's work. Go be careful. Secondly, God is always leading us in triumph. He ultimately wins and it's a shared victory, which is nice. And our competence comes from God number three. It's not our own doing. And so time to meet the opponents like I promised. And so Paul's detractors are here. And here's what they're saying. He's incompetent. Where's his credentials? We bring letters from James, maybe. I don't think James would ever endorse any of these guys. But, you know, maybe they have forged letters. But, but they're bringing letters and scrolls and affidavits and notarizations and stamps and all of this. And they're little, you know, we, when we went to this seminary and we're, have you seen his transcripts from the rabbinical school? You know, hey, was he, he says he, he wasn't one of the 12. He wasn't one of the 12. And what did he tell you? He tells you, I had a vision, okay? I saw the Lord. He appeared to me. Therefore, I'm qualified. You know what you got? You've got his word and nothing else. We've got pieces of paper. We've got frames. You want to come to my office? I'll show you a whole wall of frames. What if you go to Paul's office? He doesn't even have an office. Why? You know where his office is? In jail. <laughs> and why is he always being thrown? Why is he always in trouble? And here's what he's going to say. Oh, he says, we don't peddle the word of God, and that word means to water down, to make more palatable, more, <laughs> and, and here's what they would do. He, they're never in trouble because they're never be, being persecuted because they're, they're going to scratch where everybody's ears itch, and so they don't share the whole gospel. So they don't get thrown in jail. They're not persecuted. Their life isn't always a big mess and a struggle, because these guys are the professional hipsters, the youngins who come in and say, oh, come on, would a God of love ever eternally condemn somebody like that? And so there was no pushback to them. But Paul said, we don't peddle the word of God so that it will cause us gain, so we can be more uh, popular. We, we tell it like it is. And, and so, you know, I had a pastor friend who said, oh, somebody just dropped him a, a rude, nasty note that said, I'm leaving, I'm out of here, I'm done hearing about hell. And the guy, he's a Calvary Chapel guy. So he only talks about hell when it comes up in the verses. It's not like he's every Sunday, right? And they said, I'm going to a church where they don't talk about hell. And so we found out where that person was going <laughs> just because I think they said it. And <laughs> that would make it easy. And then uh, that person believes in hell too. So I, uh, yeah. So I think he went back and said, that pastor believes there's a hell. And the person answered and said, but he doesn't talk about it so much, okay? Whatever. This is the guys. The guys said, listen, God has loved people, okay? And Paul is always telling us, he came in here, he upset everybody, he told a guy, you can't live with her anymore. You gotta move out. What kind of gospel is that? What 
kind of gentleness, what kind of love, what kind of patience? Love bears all things, hopes all things, preserves all things. Where's the love? See? You see? I almost started to get you upset with Paul. <laughs> You're almost like, yeah, Paul, what's your problem? <laughs> oh, they're tricky. So Paul says, let's rumble as we wrap up here. Let's rumble, let's go. So he says, okay, they say I'm incompetent. Fine. He's going to say, I am. I am. My competence comes from God. I'm not going to go around saying how competent I am, you know. So he says, we're sincere. Verse 17, we're sincere. Not like them. The word sincere in the Greek means full, full light, shining of the sun. That's what the word means. Means we speak the truth in love. We are what we are behind the pulpit, <laughs> in the car, at home. On vacation, this is who he is all the time. Wherever you slice him, you come up with who he is. Preaches the whole counsel of God. He says, we've got a clean conscience and all of that. So they're asking, does he have letters of res- uh, recommendation, I should say. So he's, he's laughing. He's hurt. He's hurt. He's, he's going to say, now, it may look like I'm commending myself, he says, but I'm defending myself. It sounds like I'm coming in and saying, well, actually, I, I, I studied under this guy. And he does say that. And actually, I'll give you a list of some of my credentials, but I'm out of my mind talking like that, coming up in chapter 11. He says, so I'm not commending myself. I'm defending myself because you guys are forcing me to do it because you're buying their nonsense, saying he doesn't have credentials. And so he says... Um, No, we don't have letters and degrees and paperwork and boasts and claims and name dropping and all of that. You know what we have? We have humility, we have brokenness, and we have the power of God. And and he's saying, besides, seriously, have things gotten so bad, the church I planted, that you're going to ask me to go out and, and get a word from some other person to recommend me to you? He says, look around. You want a letter? They want a letter? Tell those boys, look at the pews. Look at the lives. Look at the transformation. He says, you guys are my letter from Christ that says this team is legit because the gospel wasn't here. The church wasn't here. And and, uh, he goes on like that. He could have said this. 1 Corinthians 6 has a list of all these people, lifestyles of sins that change. He says, you used to live like this, but you were washed. You were transformed. You're no longer that person. And here's the list. So he could have said, they want a letter of recommendation. Jason, stand up and tell them you were immoral. Now you're godly. Uh, uh, Eugene, you were in the gay lifestyle. Stand up and give your testimony to them. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. And such were some of you. And in the list were people with same-sex attraction and following through with that. But they were changed. God changes everybody. What is the difference between same-sex attraction and opposite-sex womanizing? What's the difference? There's no difference. What's the difference between being an alcoholic or, 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 or being a drug addict or, or having a, a thing about this or that or the other thing? 
So he says, he could say, Alexander, you were a thief. I'm just going down the list of lifestyle sins that he said you were this, but now you're not. First Corinthians chapter six. Alexander, they want a letter. Alexander, why don't you tell them what happened when we walked with you and we shared the gospel with you? He was a thief. Now he's a police officer. Gregory was greedy. And now he's a giver. Who's the top giver? This guy. He used to be a greedy, little, stingy little guy. And now he's the top giver in the church. That's a letter of recommendation. Why? Because Paul preached the gospel, taught him, discipled him. And he's saying, that guy is my letter of recommendation. So let your good life, let your impact on other people, let that speak on your behalf. You don't need to be defending yourself every last little detail like Paul. He's just saying, you guys, I'm not playing this game. He says, you just look around. You tell them, look around the church, he says. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Commentator Mole said this, Paul's credentials is not on paper, but in people. Right, and so verse three of the next chapter here, chapter three, he says, your Christ's letter of recommendation on our behalf. Um, stand up and tell your stories. <laughs> you know, Verses four and five, and if you think I'm foolish enough to take any credit for it all, he says, you're crazy because we are not competent in ourselves for anything, right? So now he's got this, you know, our competency comes from God now. As we wrap up, that's a hard one because we love to build our resumes and love to have our competency. Uh, there's a thing in the doctor of ministry program that I was in. They had this thing called core competencies and you had to keep that on you and build it up. And we, what your core competencies were was Every last class you've ever taken, every certification, every license, every ordination, every seminar you've ever been to in your entire life, you're building this core competencies. And I started to just kind of, oh, this is dumb. You know, everybody's looking at everybody's list, you know, how many core competencies do you have, you know? And so I wrote down there when I had to turn my paper in, I turned it in with this verse. We have no competencies in ourselves that are, my competency comes from God. They weren't amused. <laughs> my mentor came to me and said, ha ha, you know. That's nice, that's cute, that's nice. Okay, we get that. But you are gonna play this game. Yeah, you know, but seriously? Seriously, come on, Paul, Paul, Paul would have done that, right? Paul, Paul would have, I don't know. Paul was a nice guy. He probably would have played the game just out of love for them. Now, a new, 
And the last thought here is we're going to get a flavor of what these guys were doing theologically. They were coming in and everybody loves a rule keeper, right? So they're going to come in and they're going to say, listen, people, we hear that you were doing Christmas trees last time. There was a Christmas tree on the platform. (laughs) Christmas trees? Do you know the origin of a Christmas tree? Pagan. And now what do you do on Saturday, the Sabbath? And you eat bacon? (laughs) Do you know how pigs live? And do you know that in the scriptures, right? That's what they did. They were coming in with the letter of the law. Let me explain what he means, the letter. He says, so don't listen to them. The letter is a shortcut for the law or just, just the command that really condemns you. So thou shalt not is a command. So if all you have is a rule-based religion, you have no life. All you have is something that condemns you. Thou shalt not lie. Oh, well, I'm glad you have the rule, but how is that ever going to make you an honest person? It just tells you one thing. You're a goner because you're a liar. So he says, the letter, if you want to play rules without love and spirit and life, Spirit and life, sometimes there are rules, but they come because of the spirit and life and there's a grace about it. But he says, the letter, I'll kill you. And these guys are coming in with all their new rules and all of that. And but the, the, the weird thing about it is that we love them. We love legalism. We love it because it makes us feel like we're doing something and we're cut above those other Christmas tree people. You know, <laughs> thank God I'm not like that. That I actually don't have one of those. You know, sorry, if you're one of those people, I didn't mean this. It just popped in my head. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's that kind of thing. And so now, next week, we're going to hear the difference between the Old Covenant, which they're just saying, hey, we've got to get you into some kosher kitchen items, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then he's going to say, no, 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 no. Here's the, the gospel of grace. Let's pray together. Father God, now we just look to you. We're learning a lot, Lord, from this sad ordeal that our dear Beloved Paul has to go through, Lord, and just pray, Lord, that you would cause us to be extra gracious with one another and extra kind and extra cautious for how the enemy would just love nothing better than to hinder the work of God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.